You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks, and I am your host, Rebecca Hayden. For those of you who are interested in self-discovery and healing through hypnosis, please email me at rebecca.hayden at gmail.com to book a free consultation. Welcome to another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. Today, I have Jared Reinhardt with me. And Jared served as a Marine infantry sergeant and in the Middle East as a private military contractor. After his time in service, he suffered from anxiety, depression, and unmanageable anger. He found healing with ayahuasca in 2016. And since then, he has dedicated his life to serving his community and giving veterans access to this life-saving medicine. In 2017, Jared lived with the Shipibo in Peru, learning about their healing traditions. And in 2018, Jared joined the leadership team for the nonprofit Heroic Hearts Project to be head of the integration program. Welcome, Jared. Hi, thank you for having me. So glad we get to have this discussion today. So when you came back from the jungle, Many of us, when we go on these kinds of quests and these kinds of life-changing experiences, we come back and we, we change our life pretty, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> dramatically. And, and it's good to, you know, do it in uh, slowly if possible, but sometimes it's just that's not the way it is. So you came back, you had to find employment while you figured out what you were going to do. And I want you to tell us a bit about that experience because it was healing in and of itself. Yeah. So this was, um, this was after my, my year of living in the jungle and, um, I had, I had decided I wasn't going to be in the security industry anymore. And I, um, and I knew that I wanted to help people, but that was really about it. And then coming back, um, to the United States and trying to figure out how I can have a job that aligns with these new values that I had, um, it was, uh, it was very difficult, especially because my education level didn't open a lot of doors, uh, for me, uh, because I didn't, I didn't use those educational benefits that the military had given me at that point. So I was, um, I, I didn't really know what else I could do. So I, uh, I basically had to take, uh, jobs that I normally would have said no to and not for any moral reason, but just because how hard they are to do and they're just hard work. Uh, so I worked at a, at a factory where I was building furniture and that was very high paced, fast work. That was uh, extremely exhausting work. And I did that all the way through uh, COVID timeframe because we were only closed for a couple of months or about four months during COVID. And then the rest of the time we were open and we were running about five, uh, five days a week, 10 hours a day. And, and on top of that, I was, um, I was also a dishwasher at a, uh, at a high school for a while at a lunchroom, um, because I wanted a part-time job that would give me opportunities to still do coaching on the, on the side. So, um, and all while I was doing these jobs, I was continuing to do coaching, uh, with Royal Cards Project. Um, I had figured out that I wanted to do that as my career, but, I didn't think that job was going to be very lucrative or it wasn't going to hold my head above water because how was I ever going to, uh, how could I charge people with PTSD who need help uh, to, to work with me? I, that was a concept I, I couldn't get over at that point. Um, but anyways, so um, working at these jobs, I, I noticed one emotion of, of all of them came up was uh, frustration and anger. Those were the two big ones that came out. And sometimes it was frustrated because I didn't want to be at work, frustrated because I was doing a job that I was doing, angry because someone said something or did something or any of this other stuff. And uh, for a while there, I spun my tires in that. And, and I eventually came to a point of awareness where I realized that, um, wow, this job is giving me a really great opportunity to work on my anger. Um, yeah. And- and that was because the concept came to me like, well, how do you get good at push-ups? You got to do a lot of push-ups. So like, how do you get good at working on your anger? You got to be angry a lot and work through it. <laughs> um, so I was like, well, that's great. I, uh, I have a, I actually try to spin it into a, into a growth training activity for myself that the, so I shifted my purpose from being there to earn just not just a paycheck, 
but to, but to grow in, uh, and to work on myself because I try to shift my whole life in, in that perspective now is like, how is this going to, uh, how can I like this menial task that I'm doing? How can I turn that into a practice or a spiritual mm -hmm. practice? What am I, what are my attachments there or what's going on with it? Or am I, am I mindful enough during it? Whatever the, the thing is, it, it adds another rule base to the game that I'm playing and it makes it a bit more fun for me. So uh, doing this at work, I came up with a few concepts and a, a lot of ways that didn't work. Um, <laughs> and a lot of ways that didn't work with a lot of storytelling. I try to tell myself a story out of it, or I would try to um, gaslight my own belief systems based on facts that they knew what was going on in the moment. Like, Do you have any examples of that? That sounds very interesting. And the thing is that we all have uh, harmful thought patterns. So I love to talk about those. And if you can remember any of those, I know it's not always easy, but it would be good to share that if you're okay with that. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, so... So like one time someone in the kitchen was, was we, there's such a tight space in the kitchen and they were dropping off all this extra stuff. And it, it was perceived by me that this person was uh, intentionally putting extra things in a space that I didn't want because they didn't like me or whatever the reasons was because, and I wasn't usually the, the most chipper of per people to be around. So people usually didn't, you know, were really chipper around me. So, um, so she went back there and um, in my mind immediately came up with some really logical, rational stories and reasons about why she would be doing that personally instead of just listening to me and doing the thing that I asked her to do in the first place. And so when, when I was in that anger, I would try to reframe it in a positive light and it wouldn't do any good. Sometimes it would actually get me more angry. <laughs> um, That's good to hear. This is important because I know that, you know, not every technique works for everybody. So do yes. something um, and reframing was one that I did all the time, but I recognized when I was in the fire of the emotion, no matter what story that I could come up with, a lot of times it wouldn't make the emotion go away, which is all I was really trying to do because I, I, I knew I could do all of the things that I was doing in a calm and peaceful state. Like I knew I could like, but something would get me triggered about some story that I was telling myself that this job was either like beneath me, or I used to be making much more money or, or any of the other stuff. So I, my mind would travel to the past or come up with some kind of um, story about the, the now that was always diminishing me as a person in it. Like, what does this mean about me, this job I'm doing? Or what did I say here? Even the anger I felt. Like, people do this for a living, Jared. How could you be getting so angry about it? You know, like, mm -hmm. it's not that big of a deal. Like, you know, really trying to minimize my emotions. And I I took those same techniques home because I, I would use these. Like, I would reframe things. But I found that reframing the situation works best when the emotional process is passed. When, right. you, are, when you are at a more centered state. Mm -hmm. So for myself, when I'm working with somebody, for instance, um, I love to reframe things. It's like one of my favorite techniques to do about my reality is to reframe it into a growth perspective or a fun perspective or something that, that makes it, you know, feel nicer. Mm -hmm. um, and when I'm working with a, with a client or a friend or a family member, and they're really in the, the thralls of their emotion, me trying to help them reframe it also doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that was a reflection that I learned in that, in that period about like, about when and where to use those reframing techniques, because if I'm trying to reframe the house when it's on fire, that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess, for sure. so sometimes the emotion needs to burn the old house down so I can actually frame it better. Um, so you were sharing with me uh, some stories about you know, one of these experiences you've had or many of them during your time having to work these jobs in between uh, times before you, you know, came to the point where you fully stepped into, you know, the work that you do now. And like me, you had a lot of guidance in this. And mm -hmm. this is something that I love to talk about because 
because a lot more people out there have it than, than many realize. And it's possible for us to develop this. And it's fascinating how on the spot lessons happen and the kind of wisdom that we're able to generate and access through that at the time that just stops you dead in your tracks and turns you around so completely. And I'd love you to, to talk about that. I've talked about it many times, but I, I'd love to hear you talk about it. If you could. Yeah, it's um, it's actually really interesting talking about it on such a public forum. Um, I talk about it a lot individually with people, especially people who have drank ayahuasca, but I don't, I, I normally use language that, that uh, like I said just earlier, um, I came to the awareness of these, mm-hmm. these things. How did I come about this awareness? Um, I would say through mindfulness and uh, ayahuasca, <laughs> to, to be honest, is is it's um, it's it's not that like I'm hearing a voice or that I'm not hearing a voice. It's like I'm it's like I'm my conscience. My conscience is on a higher level, like looking down at me and giving me um, a different perspective where like it uh it's like talking to the mind it's so it's mm-hmm. almost like i feel like i'm talking to a higher self of mine or not really mm-hmm. talking but having um having direction and and also helping me laugh at myself cuz um there's one thing that i got in my ceremonies was that i take this experience too personal and i take it too personal and i, and I really hurt myself because of it so it's really important for me to like laugh at myself. So this mm-hmm. voice is normally usually really funny um, mm-hmm. and is usually really not taking whatever is going on very seriously. Um, and I think that's for that reason is for, is it's either my conscious or, or the way it filters through is it's very sassy. It's very fun. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, look at yourself, you know, and it's, I don't know if you've, if anybody's ever listened to Ram Dass or if you listen to Ram Dass, but he talks about his, yes. his he talks about his, uh, his guru this way, his mm-hmm. guru was in his own mind um, mm-hmm. that he said it was kind of like an imaginary friend, but also not. And that if you're going to have an imaginary friend, you might as well make it some like God itself. <laughs> so um, I, I, I really resonate with that because I feel like when Ram Dass talks about things like um, Maharaji, just starting to giggle at him because he sees him all spun up in his drama mm-hmm. about something. Mm-hmm. And I've had that happen with me and with ayahuasca. Like I've been mm-hmm. so enthralled in my attachment and like this thing that I don't want to let go of. And then suddenly I'll, st- I'll start hearing and experiencing like laughter, yes. like the cosmic joke of it, of like going like, ha ha, like, look, you caught yourself. You're, you're, you're fully stuck in, in the character. Like that's the joke. And and so like to this day, I'll have that cosmic giggle happening in my head when when things might be getting a t- bit too serious. Now, I don't want to be like saying I'm above it because like I still have my emotional process and can't hear that giggle until it's like right at the right moment. So I'll mm-hmm. I'll have a freak out or a temper tantrum, adult size style. <laughs> and and then suddenly when I get a, a breath of fresh air for a second, I'll start to laugh and be like, what did I just do mm-hmm. for what? for what reason? And, and it's really, it's, it's that, it's that kind of guidance that I'm talking about is that, um, that I got from it. And I, and I have, I have spoken with other people who have direct dialect, uh, like a conversation with this, with this higher self or ayahuasca Mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. or guides or whatever you want to call it that people have Mm -hmm. experienced, especially after working with the medicine. Um, and for a while there, I was envious, but, I don't think I'm, I'm, I don't think that I need to have direct conversation just because that's not my, my analytical mind uh, would run with it too much. Actually, the way that it comes, uh, the way I understand it anyway, having talked to many people like that myself is that it, it comes in a form that's appropriate for you. That's going to benefit you the most. Mm-hmm. So for me, I do have the dialogue and uh, you know, my strength is communication and other things, but so it's natural for me. It, it, it works for me, but uh, you know, other people get downloads. I get them too, but you know, it's going to come to you in a way that's most impactful for you. And it changes too. And um, many people have different ways of describing it and you know, all of that's great. I think that in this realm, in this spiritual 
aspect of life, there are going to be so many different interpretations and trying to close it all down with, oh, it should be called this, or everybody should perceive it that way, or oh, this is what it really mm -hmm. is. You know, it's different for everybody because that's how they're experiencing it. And there's a reason for that. And it's will, as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, I will say that I do, I do knowingly understand or receive this, this guidance easiest when I'm quiet, when I'm mm -hmm. quiet, when I'm quieter, like mm -hmm. until my emotional process and my storytelling is quieter, I, I can't hear the giggle. I can't, I can't hear the, the other stuff. So it's, I mean, like for me, I, I tell my clients now that it's a part of integration to feel like you're not integrating correctly. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this is important to mention because there's no correctly. And I mean, you know, there's certainly things that are more helpful than others. Yes. Um, but I think we've got to throw out this such a narrow idea of our path in life. It's very, it's buried. It's very yeah. buried. And the more that we, you know, allow things to unfold the way they do, the better it's going to go. And <laughs> being quiet like this is the power of meditation and hypnosis for that matter this is mm -hmm. why i use hypnosis to help people connect with that part of themselves and to to get that kind of guidance uh, is, is because it's so powerful when we just stop all our nonsense mm -hmm. <laughs> let go and discover that exceptional magic that we do have within us and i believe that all those medicines are doing is tapping into that that stuff that's there it's there already within us that's yes that's the powerful thing that we have to remember and they keep telling us you know they, they tell us all the time what we're capable of and all this stuff and then we put up arguments right it's so silly <laughs> yeah and they're all guiding us in in the the way that is best for us and individually and that uh may not look correct for one person or the other um, and that's, that's the beauty of this fractal, uh, expansive universe that we're in is it's, uh, it's not supposed to all look the same, but all the same as it is anyways, that makes any sense. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, I think that that's why, you know, some people don't belong in the school system. This is all about, you know, everybody the same age, you know, shooting for the same grades and the same subjects. It's like, we're all so different. And if we'd start to allow ourselves to be that, and, you know, stop competing with one another and start to just ex discover ourselves. On a yeah. whole other tangent, um, the school system itself, it, it is designed based on our industrialization that was going on in the United States during that time period. It was it was really started turning more like a like churning kids through like a factory, most efficient way possible mm -hmm. um, to get through the education system. And I mean, it worked to a point, but it. Uh, it, I'm I'm curious, and this is just it, it doesn't need to even continue the conversation. But I'm curious to see now that we're moving toward the end of the industrial age, and to a whole new type of Renaissance era, that mm -hmm. uh, what that's going to turn into in the future. And that might not be something I see in the next thirty to years to fifty years, but I I would just be curious to see how that naturally evolves as human beings because I think that you're you're right on there. Is is I think a lot of us um, feel even those who excelled in school see the the hypocrisy of the school systems itself and how, how it's run. I think that, you know, for those of us who are taking these kinds of self-inquiry paths and discovering more about our existence that is beyond, you know, what we perceived it to be in a limited way, we're starting to realize that, well, our values are shifting, our priorities are shifting. And then when we look at our kids, of course, this is going to reflect yes. there. There's tons of people, you know, homeschooling and doing alternative schooling and exploring different ways to help kids discover uh, their their gifts and to to learn. The kids learn all the time. You know? <laughs> they mm -hmm. learn all the time and and, you know, just supporting that and and supporting what kids are inspired by all the things that ayahuasca is doing for us we can do for our kids for sure mm -hmm. yeah and and i i think that you can't talk about your ayahuasca experience to anybody because it's ineffable i mean like you can make a good story about it that's kind of similar to what it was was like but 
you'll never be able to describe it. So the best way to, to, to describe it is to be it mm-hmm. is in, in that, that has more, there's more language in your body than there ever will be with your words anyways, in your actions. So, um, that is something that I, that I try to live by in the, the, some of the things that, you know, ayahuasca get, like helped me understand was basic things, you know, like trust and love and, um, <laughs> and just the unconditional nature of these things and, 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 and to relax and basic, basic stuff that, um, that constantly is being pushed back into my life through that same guidance. And sometimes it's through memory of ceremonies, um, mm-hmm. And that's what we would in the industry call a download. You know, you have a, a memory or a flash of a ceremony and it clicks with something that's going on in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, other times it's like, I see a bunch of things because after I worked with ayahuasca, I have never been so sure. And I still feel this way to this day that I am right where I'm supposed to be doing the exact right thing, doing the exact right thing at the exact right time and everybody else is doing the exact same thing because nothing in my life had ever felt so scripted is the word I called it (laughs) than it did when I went to my first ayahuasca retreat because everybody had like a perfect place in that healing experience everybody had a perfect trigger or a perfect thing that made everything this exact perfect transformational experience that I had Mm -hmm. and and it felt like nobody was there by chance. And, yes. and so I threw away the idea of coincidence and chance a long time ago. So after that, I have lived my life that when I see things that remind me of chance or coincidence or synchronicity, whatever word you want to use for it, I I look at it like a, a I kind of, I just say, I see you, ayahuasca. Yeah, I see you. I see, you know, like, <laughs> I see what you're doing there. I see what... And there's even points that are people in my life that have come up to me and I have no idea why they are there, why they are coming to me or why they're talking to me. And maybe they're even talking about something. Maybe they're talking about sports. I'm not really into sports. And maybe they're talking about sports and they're not hearing a thing I'm saying. And I will, and I will have the, I will be compelled to be like, so uh, I don't know what you're, what's what we're talking about, man. But for some reason, I just got to say the word to you, ayahuasca. And, and they, and they're like, eyes light up. And then they get like, then they're like, they're like, why did you say that? Like, I just blah. And then, they, and I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. So it's, it's one of these things that, uh, that I don't try to understand. I just try to play with and go with. Yeah. We, or, we and, and, or, or take seriously too. I don't try to make it into something mystical. I also say this could be just Jared being Jared. Um, but either way, it's it's a fun ride I, that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, a wonderful concept that I felt was a gift to when uh, I had my first um, retreat. And I had, you know, worked with some other medicines, but this is the first time that the idea of everything being part of the ceremony, you know, was introduced to me. And I saw it. Even when people had you know, uh, difficulties with one another, rubbed up against one another, provoked one another. This was all meant, you know, we felt, I felt, I can't say that others did or not, maybe afterwards, who knows, but I felt that there was, there was definitely something in play there that was helping us, helping bring these things to the surface. And it was good introduction because it wasn't always easy. And Mm -hmm. later in my life, when I started to go through the whole um, rather intense introduction to the you know integration path. When things provoked me, I remembered. I remembered that this is all part of it. And I thought, this is what everyday life is. We just don't always recognize it. And when you stop and you and you start to open up to what it could mean, like what what could this really be about? And and just remain open until something reveals itself to you or even allow yourself to go through it more without such a fight, mm-hmm. <laughs> then it, that's a gift in itself. And yeah, then the magic really happens. And and I can't say it's always easy. It's It can be very excruciating at times. Yes. But um, the beauty is that when you have those things come up that are excruciating, remind yourself that this is an opportunity because that's happening. So, because it's ready to heal. Mm -hmm. And the difference it's, it's hard to bridge that to the uninitiated uh, to be honest. And I say uninitiated because we can, 
we can understand, but until, until you've been in, in, I, I actually, there are certain things in life that I use to, to help bridge it for, um, for veterans, for instance, when we're talking about ayahuasca, um, I talk about learning to relax in the discomfort and for anybody who has tattoos, I have tattoos. Veterans usually have lots of tattoos. Um, they know it's a very painful experience mm-hmm. and it's usually hours of sitting through pain. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for some reason people do it and find the will to be able to sit through it. So I've told them before, like you have to relax into that discomfort because if you move or shake or try to resist too much, you're going to mess up the art of the tattoo and that's a lot like what's going on in ceremony. And that's also what's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. If you resist or you move or you shake or you try to change what's going on too much, it, it, it's not going to mess up the art because the art is the process itself. But the concept is it, to remind me to relax, to, mm-hmm. to, to allow and, and to know that it's going to leave something beautiful when it's done. Yeah, that's a beautiful metaphor for sure. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's it's something that, you know, we get better at and we forget and then we return to and it's a constant process, but it is really beautiful. And I've found myself so many times um, struggling through things at times, you know, more than I would want to because I'm utterly aware of it now. You know, in the past, it would just be, what? This is just happening. And now it's like, oh, geez, I really pushed against that a little more than I wanted to or a lot more. And then suddenly everything falls into place. And I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> and I look back and I go, I really wish I hadn't pushed so hard because all it does is it causes me more pain. And in the end, this is what was meant to happen anyway. And it's, it's perfect. It always reminds me of the analogy of uh, the phoenix because mm-hmm. um, arising from the ashes concept. But the one part of the phoenix that I've uh, that I like about the story that it's really talked about is is that phoenix has to have the courage to light itself on fire before it can be burned and born again. Mm-hmm. So like it has to it has to continually allow itself to burn and feel all that and. It's not, um, I mean, like the traditional way of looking at it is it literally burns all of itself to ashes. And that includes like all the biological matter and all that. So in this, in this fantasy, it has to go through the excruciating pain of being burned to be born again. And it has to go through that courage of doing that over and over and over again. And that's mm-hmm. what I think that you're talking about is you look at things and you go, man, I pushed too hard against that. Or, oh, I didn't have boundaries there. Or, oh, I didn't do this. And, oh, that kind of stuff. But like in the process of learning those things, you have to have the courage to let it burn so you can take the ashes and, you know, grow from it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I do. Um, it's just wonderful when you're sitting there and it's suddenly a retrospective. Everything's fallen into place and you look back and you go, why did I fight so hard against that? You know, yeah. and now it's it's nothing compared to what it used to be. But I'm a rather sensitive person, so I feel it all. <laughs> And, and so I just make a commitment. I make a commitment to do better next time. There's another tradition that um, I used to have. Now I'm, I don't have it as much, but you mentioned. Ramdas. Yeah. Okay. Ramdas. I think that he made the joke of, you know, you think you're spiritually advanced and then you go home and be with your family. And yes. Then- <laughs> yes. I love that quote. I actually, I actually have memorized that quote for my clients. Cause it says, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. Exactly. And, totally. and I, and I, God, I resonate with that so much because sometimes I can be in such a bubble and so, so blissed out and high on life. And then I go hang out with my family and they remind me of all the stuff that I have not been looking at for the last 20 years. And it just comes back up and I'm back to being that 13 or 12 year old kid going through my stuff again. <laughs> Probably not back as much as you think, but you, this is the thing. Now that we've been on this path, you feel it so intensely and you're so yes. aware of it, right? So for me, Christmas became a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. You know, it never had been really for me as a kid for all sorts of reasons. But going home for Christmas every year, my intention was, okay, let's see what happens this year. Let's try to go through this as peacefully and lovingly as I possibly can and in ways that I feel good about. And then I would be really aware of things that I'd moved beyond, which was lovely. 
Yes. And, and then there'd be something that would provoke me in certain ways or bring something to my awareness that I hadn't fully recognized before, which was really interesting. And sometimes I'd, I'd react to it and then I'd realize, oh, this is, I have to actually just explore this on my own later in my mind and, you know, think about how that's been going on, how long that's been going on and the ways it's affected me. And then make a promise to myself that next year I'm going to have healed that and be better with that. And of course I would go back and that would happen and then something else would come up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a, I, the, the spiritual practicing I, I really resonate with. And I think I, I honestly, that was something else it took away from the ayahuasca experience was intention setting was setting intentions for my ceremonies. And once I realized that my ceremony was just a microcosm of uh, my life, but sometimes, mm-hmm. with, sometimes with just the volume turned all the way up so I could really hear what was going on. Um, it, it made it so when the volume was turned down, so to speak, when I'm around my parents or around my family, um, I can start to investigate these things a, little, a bit more freely. So intention setting, like going to a family outing and having an intention of like, um, I'm here, like you said, to investigate myself and find out maybe something I don't know about myself and I need to investigate or, you know, the same the same process that you could do mm-hmm. with going into doing a um, plant medicine experience you could be doing with your family. And it could be even, lo- even lovelier, you know, like I want to connect more deeply with my mom. Of course. You know? Like it doesn't have to always be about the self-work, right? It can always, it can oh. be, it can, it can, the intentions can totally be just like, Hey, I just want to be with my family. Look, if everyday intentions were just love, we'd have it. Yeah. Whatever is not that is going to reveal itself anyway. So it's all the same thing, but it, I'm so glad you brought up, you know, continued on with the intentions because that's something that I took away uh, from my initial experience too, because I was experiencing this with the Shipibo and they had this practice of um, this flower water that um, they called the Pasanga and they put intentions into it. And then you did your own intentions every day and you dabbed it, you know, on your crown and your third eye and mm-hmm. your heart center. And so every day was um, an opportunity for a new intention. And I came home, I brought it home and, I really didn't like the smell of it, to be honest. <laughs> and by this time, I'd, I'd been having this guidance, and it was very uh, conversational and, and prominent. And it was recommended that I use oils. And I love essential oils, so yes. I mixed up something for myself, took all these oils. I thought, oh, I like the smell of these guys. I'm just going to put them together. And it smelled awful. <laughs> <laughs> so even though they're all nice individually it didn't mean they meant yeah, they the, were meant to be the blended. alchemy of their smell was not yeah. pleasant and so suddenly i got a recipe and it was five oils and i got even the amount of drops that i should put in what i should put it in all of these things and and then it was like just the most glorious smell and and i did intentions with that for a while and then when i was done that bottle it changed and then i invited a friend who came out to visit from New York and then suddenly I had a, a recipe for her. And then, you know, I was really sort of encouraged to, to start to offer this. And I did for a while. I mean, I, I still would, but it's difficult to, to ship these things and um, I can always just offer recipes, but they're very customized. And in the end, you know, some of them didn't even smell that great, but boy, the experiences people have had with them, so I know somebody whose intention was love and then got provoked all over the place. Yeah. And, you know, like, and then it's like asking for patience, right? Well, you have to yeah. be impatient to learn how to be patient. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's valuable and we're not always ready for that intense, you know? Um, I remember doing this one day when I, I knew I had something that I needed to do that weekend. I probably had to do a family <laughs> and I was, I was upset that I was upset. In other words, I knew that I was in a a lousy mood and I didn't want to go and bring that lousy mood with me and then have to deal with potentially challenging situations. So I made the bottle, everything, and then the intention was given to me because sometimes it just comes to me. I don't make it myself. I, I open up. And so I'm there in this lousy mood. It's like, fine, I made this thing. Here it is. What is it? What's the intention? And it, and it was joy. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> but within an hour, I felt joy. 
That's awesome. Uh, yeah. That's, I've heard lots of, uh, lots of things with essential oils and, um, man, I really believe in the power plants. I mean, like they're, they, they eat sunlight. I mean, like that's, that's magic. <laughs> yeah. And it's like the, um, distilled kind of version of all of the magic that's in these plants, but I wanted to talk about kids and I know that's, you know, potentially juicy topic. And <laughs> I wanted to bring that up because you and I were chatting about that too. And, I want you to share some of the stories around how they helped you grow. Cause I know my son helps me daily mm-hmm. pretty much. <laughs> well, as I, uh, as I talked about before, I like to spin this reality that I'm in on a spiritual practice path, wherever you want to look at it. So I look at, sometimes I look at my kids as like my little gurus. They are much more aware than I give them credit for. And they may not have the, the mannerisms or the social nuances that I'm craving from like adults, but they're, uh, they're so close to the, the full creation of reality. It's, it's, it's amazing to behold. And so I, I have a, I have a 16 year old and an 11 year old and, uh, my 11 year old is uh, fantastic. She is also a cartoon character. Um, <laughs> she is like the Tasmanian devil, um, kind of like, you know, Hey, Hey, would, Hey, would you like to meet this person at the door? And she'd be the one that walks up and starts barking and, you know, and like starts running around the room and she's that kind of, um, the most loving and kind and servant like person of service you'll ever meet, but she's like, she's just got a lot of energy. So, um, that for me was a bit difficult at times. And I'm sure every parent out there is laugh. It could laugh about this, knowing that like what I'm saying a bit difficult is, is being nice because sometimes it's outright maddening. Yeah. Um, so there was a time when I was like, well, I heard this quote and it's from, uh, Alan Watts. And he says, if you can't meditate in a boiler room, you can't meditate. So I was thinking to myself, well, um, I usually try to retreat away when I'm feeling upset to go meditate or to, to get some space or something like that. And one of these days, uh, my daughter was bouncing up the walls and having fun and not doing anything wrong, just being a very loud and, you know, crazy having fun kid. So I don't want to stifle her from having fun because I have these emotions. So like yourself, I'm now upset with being upset with myself for being upset. <laughs> and so I, so I decided that I'm going to start, I'm just going to meditate. And I'm going to tell you that there was a, there wasn't like a pure intention of meditation. It was like, maybe if I meditate, she'll like, you know, magically calm down or something. So uh, I meditated uh, for probably about like 15, 20 minutes that day before something else uh, came up, but 15 or 20 minutes, I was sitting there in the room with her continuing to do her thing. And I actually found that I got to a deeper state of meditation than I normally would have because I started allowing her actions and noises and everything else to turn into background noise as if I was hearing things like birds chirping or car horns honking or wind in the breeze or my thoughts or whatever I'm just kind of like observing at that time yeah so I started doing this as a as a practice not as often as I would like but every once in a while it would come up and I'd be like okay I'm going to do this again. And um, I tell you, after after a few handfuls of times of doing this, um, there was I started to notice that as I would start doing this, she would naturally just get a little bit quieter with her voice. And I think it was because she wants to be courteous and she knows that I'm meditating. But at the same time, I never told her to be quiet because I'm meditating. I just was meditating. So she just naturally did this on her own with, with me. And I, and I, and I, again, like to look at my outside reality really reflects what's really going on inside. So the quieter I was getting, the quieter she was getting. Mm -hmm. And and then one day I opened my eyes after my meditation and I noticed, and she's sitting out next to me and cross legs and pretending to meditate next to me. And then eventually gets up and goes plays with clay or whatever she was doing really quickly. Um, (laughs) But um, the point of that was, is that I was using the free energy of the moment to help me go deeper into my practice to, to, to allow the annoyance of my very loud, rambunctious and lovable kid um, to sit in there. And then I was going to observe it. Yeah. Instead of, instead of react to it, just be like, ah, oh, yeah, there's annoyance. Oh yeah. There's that thought too. And there's that thought and there's that thought. And not only that, use it to your advantage. Like this is 
a really powerful practice. And we use it in hypnosis too. I can't always predict the kind of noises that are going to happen in sessions. So I build into the experience, the idea of using all of those noises to take you deeper within. Mm-hmm. And it's something that also happened one time in an ayahuasca experience. It was very interesting because this, of course, spilled out into my life. And I realized how often that was so valuable to me. And at the time, I didn't have any clue that this was going to be so impactful. But you know what it's like when you're in ceremony and there's some people that have really loud <laughs> experience. Yes. And this one guy was just, oh, my God. Uh, He was going into really openly, like, demonic states, but it was silly. For me, it wasn't scary at all. It was just, like, this exaggerated, cartoonish, devious voice. (laughs) And then followed immediately by this baby voice and, like, back and forth and back and forth. And I could tell people were getting annoyed, but I was just kind of like, oh, what's going on there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and, and it got really like loud and, and provocative at times. And so ayahuasca was kind of whispering in my ear saying, let's use this, you know? Yeah. And it was, it turned into the sound turned into these, these tools that ended up extracting this stress from me, from my neck. It was really fascinating how all of that worked and even turned into a, like a groovy little video game. It was, it's, as you know, it's hard to describe. I, I knew exactly what was happening in that moment. And, and then also he made people laugh too. Like some people got really annoyed. And then of course they get the opportunity to explore their anger, right? And that yes. reaction. And then for some of us, we laugh too. And and that's that's a purge. It's beautiful. Like all of it works so beautifully. Mm-hmm. But that was so creative how that unfolded, how this voice that was very disruptive turned into these tools to assist me. And I'm thinking, this is something we can use every day, no matter what we're facing, you know, okay, this is something I can use. How am I going to use this? You know? Yeah. yeah. And it goes back to like, I was talking about with working at uh, the factory, mm-hmm. you know, it was, yeah. it came to that same place of in that guidance and that awareness going like, I can use this. I can use this to my advantage. If I got some, if I got some karma to burn off, let's burn it off. Let's do it and lean into it as opposed to resist it. Because Mm -hmm. I I found that life is a lot like being on a river. And I know this analogy is really burnt out, but it's, it, it feels very true is because it's, it's just going in one direction and you may have choices along the way that you can like choose to go on the rapids or the smooth way, but it all leads to the same place. And sometimes you're like floating down river and you see a wonderful spot where you want to stop and eat some lunch but maybe the rapids are too fast or something and you can't get to that one spot. My problem is, is I fixate on that spot and then I turn my canoe around and I start trying to paddle up river. (laughs) Now, the funny thing about this is, is sometimes with enough effort and foresight and ego and thought and everything else, I can get to that place. But by the time I'm there, I am so exhausted. I can't even enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When if I just would have used the free energy of the river to push me downstream, there may have been a much better spot that was easier to get to if I just yeah. would have kept going. Yeah, let that momentum work for you for sure. Another subject I wanted to bring up and such little time to do it, but I think we can do it justice. We were talking about love, which of course mm-hmm. is essential to all of what we experience with ayahuasca and afterwards. And I think that when we have kids, obviously this is a very love-inducing experience. Of course, it can be maddening at times, but just overwhelmingly, we we feel love on on mm-hmm. such a regular basis, um, more so, I think, than, than before. And you look at the world uh, differently because suddenly you want everything to be soft and loving for them. And you start to look at the world as though, like, when do we lose that? When do we decide that that's not a a safe and okay thing to talk about? What, how did that become a weakness? Because we're constantly learning from the messengers, (laughs) which they are, um, the medicine, how, how important and essential love is. Yes. 
Um, and so when did we decide that this was a weak thing or something you can't talk about? You'll notice in social circles sometimes when you mention love, everybody assumes you're talking about a romantic partner. Yes. And that is a sad commentary, mm-hmm. I believe, on where we're at. Um, a lot of um, A lot of people, myself included, have felt such connection with uh, friends, but they may have not known what to do with that feeling. So they wanted to put it in a relationship and it didn't work. They wanted to own it somehow or put a label around it or something. And I want to, I wanted to be uh, absolutely honest. I love to love. Like I, I do. I just, I love for the sake of loving, like, because it feels so good to, to actually to love it. And, and, and it's so much deeper than the than the egoic i love you because um mm-hmm. it's like i don't have to love someone because of anything like mm-hmm. I, my kids show me that like they don't love me because of anything they just love me mm-hmm. and that is something that like i i feel like i i can give to the world like i i can love the world for being the world i cannot mm-hmm. like certain things just like my parents told me before, lots of times when I was growing up, I might not like your dad every once in a while, but I always love him. And I, and I really resonate with that. I might not like the world the way it is, but I love it for being the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And actually, it can be a powerful exercise to just delve into the, th- the things that we love and then expand on that and move towards being in a state of love. Because then it's not a pick and choose thing. I'm moving towards being in a state of love and therefore everything is part of that. And we'll move out of it at times because of the experiences we have in the integration path and all the rest of it. But ultimately, that's the best goal is like being in a state of love, then everything is a part of that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting when I'm naturally in a state of love, like when I'm just in a good place and I just like love where I'm at, I'm usually really grateful for like the smallest and the biggest thing. The whole world looks like it's great. It's just, I'm like, I'm grateful for everything. Like, it's so good. And I think, I think most of us have, have at least had many like brief moments of this in our life. If, if not, I, I I hope that they do because um, it can also be kickstarted the, the opposite way as well is, is being grateful, having a gratitude practice. I, um, I learned this from ayahuasca as well. I did it every day when I was, uh, when I was integrating, um, for my first experience, when I went to, when I went back to Iraq, I woke up every morning when I was in Iraq. And as soon as one foot hit the ground, I said, thank you. And the next foot hit the ground. I said, thank you. And mm-hmm. it wasn't for any like exosteric, like it wasn't, it's like any, any kind of like thing. Like I was worried about dying or none, none of that stuff was going through my head. The whole practice was just to try to wake up in the morning and be grateful that I was alive. And not mm-hmm. because I was in Iraq, just because I was alive. Cause I didn't feel unsafe at that time. Like I wasn't, I wasn't like I was, uh, it wasn't like a movies or anything like you're seeing. I was very bored most of the time. So <laughs> it got very mundane. So I wasn't, um, so it sounds very poetic and yeah, you could do that when you're out there, but no, like I started doing this back home, like mm-hmm. just grateful that I'm awake, just grateful to be, aw- and, and, and maybe I didn't have anything I was grateful for, but I was still saying, thank you. Just thank you to have legs, you know, mm-hmm here you know and and that and that changed something for me and and another thing that i that i learned that is very awkward but i i've tried it and it works i looked myself in the mirror every day when i was in iraq and i said i love you and i looked myself in the eye and i said it i was like i love you jared and man it felt really weird at first because here i am talking to myself in the mirror and all the weird emotions about saying the phrase i love you came out and like all that stuff and but my friend told me stick with it for about a month and you'll see. So I did. I stuck with it for about a month and eventually it stopped being awkward and actually started turning into like genuine. Mm-hmm. Like I look, I'd look myself in the mirror and I'd be like, I'd give myself finger guns and I'd be like, I love you, man. Like, I love you so much. And, and like, sometimes I put my hand on the mirror, like I'm putting my hand on my own hand and I'm genuinely telling myself, I love you. Mm-hmm. And this this brought a whole new concept of self-love because to be honest, at that time in my life, I didn't know truly who I was looking at in the mirror. Like I was still trying to figure out who I was, but what I was trying to tell myself was I love you who, no matter who you think you are. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is very powerful because as we know, everything grows out of self-love, you know, this theme of love and self-love, it has to begin there. You can't ignore that part 
of the path because it's essential. And that's, that's how we do create these better realities because when we're in that state of love and we are loving ourselves, then we're allowing for these beautiful things to unfold and letting that echo outwards, the ripples to flow all around us. This is very powerful stuff. So thanks mm -hmm. so much for sharing that. Um, and I think we're coming to the end of the hour now. So I'm wondering if you can share more about your work, how to reach you. Absolutely. So Heroic Hearts is a 501c3 nonprofit in the United States, in the UK, and also in Canada. And what we do is we take service members and, um, and sometimes uh, athletes and first responders to ayahuasca retreats in South America. So either Mexico or Peru, primarily at this point. Um, and we not only send them to Peru or to Mexico to work with the medicine, but we set them up with integration coaches that work with them for at least three months uh, before, during, and after their experience to help them integrate their stuff. And this is usually peer coaches or other veterans who've been through the ayahuasca experience or people who have worked with ayahuasca themselves who have a passion for helping others through the process. And this is a, like I said, it's a, it's a nonprofit. So we make, uh, we don't make any money off of this. All we, the only way we make money is off donations. So if you'd like to sign up or learn more about us, you can go on our website, which is www.heroicheartsproject.org or you can find us on Instagram at Hero, at Heroic Hearts Project. Um, we are a, a fantastic nonprofit. We've been open, uh, we've been around since 2017. And this year, I think we're going to celebrate sending uh, a little over 200 veterans to uh, ayahuasca healing this year. Wonderful. That's fantastic work. And what about if people want to reach you? Are you okay with sharing your contact info? They can reach me through the website. There is a there is a ask us a question on there, and that that goes directly to uh, mine or Jesse's email. Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Ah, thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. Please visit RebeccaHayden.com for more ayahuasca integration content and for information about working with me and using hypnosis as an empowering integration tool.